Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Today we're here with Jay Garner. He's the president of Garner Economics, the past chair of the IEDC and the Site Selectors Guild, and co-author of the new book, Economic Development is Still Not for Amateurs, with Ross Patton. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dane. Appreciate you having me. Well, excellent. I'm glad that we were able to finally connect and get you on. So your book, it's, I said it was new, but it's not new because it came out originally, the first edition last year or in 2020? Yeah, so the first edition came out in August of 2020 okay. and the edition came out last week. I know the world has gone through all the ups and downs in the last couple of years with COVID and, and everything. I guess you saw that there needed to be some serious updates to the book to necessitate making a whole nother version as opposed to you know, I don't know, writing a different, writing a different book. Yeah. So the, the book was so popular in its first edition. And honestly, we didn't know what to expect when we did this. Ross came to me in the early parts of, uh, well, actually late 2019. Wanted to see if I would have an interest in partnering with him on writing a book. Ross is the assistant director of economic development for the city of Covington, Kentucky, which is a suburb of Cincinnati. Okay. Right across the river. And we actually did an economic development action plan for that community a few years ago. So I got to know Rolls during that um, time frame. And Rolls is a very sharp young man, recent winner of the IB, IEDC, DCI, 40 under 40. And he came to me and he said, look, I'm frustrated. I have a number of volunteers and elected officials that are having a challenging time understanding the nuances related to economic development. And would you have any interest in partnering with me on a, basically an economic development 101? Uh, mm -hmm. And I said, absolutely. This has been a passion of mine for as long as I've been in the economic development arena, which has been four decades, and I would love to do it. So we went about and created a syllabus and came up with who was going to say what. We had eight chapters. Um, I wrote, I think at the time I wrote five and he wrote three. And I said, Ross, I don't know, we're going to sell 50 books or 500, I struggle with sell more than 50. Otherwise I'm going to be embarrassed. Right. And we ended up selling, um, almost 5,000 copies in that wow. edition. Okay. And it became an Amazon bestseller in the economic development genre, a tremendous number of bulk orders from economic development leaders from around the country wanting to use it as an educational tool with their elected officials and with their volunteers. Because as you know, 
these policymakers can make or break your economic development efforts, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, because everything is uh, in, in the speed of light now, we wrote this before the pandemic and just at the beginning of the pandemic. And now we're entering a post-pandemic or endemic world, mm-hmm. right? So we wanted to update those eight chapters, but we also wanted to add two new chapters. I wrote one that for some reason I just forgot to include in the first uh, edition called Demystifying the Site Selection Process. Then Ross wrote one called Yellow Means Y'all, which is about uh, what communities should successfully embrace as it relates to diversity, equity, inclusion, because that's all about talent attraction. So we released it last week and here we are. Thank you for having me. Well, absolutely. So yeah, you brought up a couple of points that I guess I wanted to touch on. How did you forget to write the site selection chapter in the first edition? Because it seems like, you know, you would be the one to write that. I know. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. It's like, how did I leave that out? I think it's because I was focused so much on a couple of the mantras that uh, we've trademarked and people know me for. That's no product, no project. And the other one is talent is the new currency. So, but I fix it. We now have demystifying the site selection process and it's a really good chapter. (laughs) It is a good chapter. I agree. So let's talk about those two slogans that you've trademarked. Um, No product, no project. What does that mean? Yeah, it's no no, uh, no product, no project. So uh, you represent a county economic development organization, and you know that you cannot be successful without something to sell, whether it's an industrial park, an office environment, commercial areas. So all of that is product. You don't have the product. You're not going to see the project. Where we, my company, Barter Economics, are doing three location advisory projects right now. Mm-hmm. They are all in the metal bending, metal fabrication sector. Okay. And that's what we do. We're in the manufacturing uh, environment and we're in the food and beverage processing environment. That's our forte. Sure. When we send out a request for information, uh, we either get those back with communities submitting them without product, which means they uh, immediately get disqualified or they are considered product by them, but not by us. What does that mean? Well, it's not a prepared site. It doesn't have the infrastructure to place or it may not be for sale. All of that is product. So I just came up, you know, I think about Nine years ago, it just hit me one day when I was making a speech and I said, no product, no project. And it just called on. So I trademarked it. It makes sense. So often everybody wants to sell this sort of vacant piece of land out there and say, yes, this is a site for you. And and you want to say, no, that's not a site. It's not developed. It's not... Uh, doesn't have infrastructure. You don't know how it's going. Nothing's going to operate. You're not in control of the property. I'd imagine that 
that elected officials especially probably look at land and say, yes, this is, we have all this land. Why is it not being developed? And so that's, this is really helpful, I'd imagine. That is exactly right. And if, and if they read that chapter, though, and a, a, a site like you just described, they mm-hmm. make a great pasture for a herd of cattle. Right. That's, that's its value. Yes. Good. And then, so what was, and then what's the other uh, phrase that you have trademarked? Talent is the new currency. What does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, that's another trademark mantra that we created. And the reason is we didn't really have a labor shortage 10, 15 years ago. Right. Um, you know, the typical unemployment rate in the United States was around seven, 8%. Uh, you might, some communities that were doing better than that, you you clearly would see communities that were doing worse than that. So you could find people. The problem is that we always had a skill shortage that never went away. Mm-hmm. We had a skill shortage. So when we started to see a really hot economy. After the last uh, recession, which the last major recession, which was tied to the financial uh, and banking markets, you know, that's when the economy took off again. And uh, at the same time, our labor force participation rate went from like 64% down to 62%. The pandemic exasperated. Uh, the issue with the number of people leaving the workforce, primarily baby boomers, and also some, um, millennials and Gen Z who said, you know, I'm not having a very fulfilling career. I'm going to take a break until I can find something else. Mm -hmm. So that's why talent is the new currency came up because all of our clients, you would ask if. You know, we've got 60 members of the site selectors Guild. You ask 60 of them, what's important to your clients? A hundred percent of them would say, how can they find the talent within the occupations that they need? So you've been in this industry for 40 years. Is, has this been an issue the entire time or is this a relatively recent, the last decade or the last two decades issue? Is this... Is this since we started outsourcing to China? What, what was the cause of this skills shortage? Aging demographics. So when I got into the business four decades ago, the average age in the U.S. was 32. It's now 38. Right. I put that in perspective. Japan is 48. Germany is 48. South Korea is 42. So obviously we're getting older also. Um, we don't have as much immigration as we used to. We clearly mm-hmm. don't have as many people having babies as we used to. So there lies part of the problem. That more automation, more robotics. Right. And from what I've read, the bulk of the baby boomers will be retired by the end of this year or the end of 2023. So they're moving out of the labor market entirely. I've also heard that we're lucky in the United States because the baby boomers in the U.S., unlike everywhere else in the world, had children. So they had the millennials. So we do have those to protect, to keep the labor force going. It's obviously going to keep exacerbating. So how do we fix this? How do we fix the labor issue? 
Well, there's a, uh, a number of different ways. First of all, um, we have to grow from within. Okay. So that means our school systems need to do a very proactive job in building the talent pipeline that consists of making sure there are career academies, career pathways in high school, uh, apprenticeships, internships, and then the unsung heroes in my mind in the economic development training arena are the community colleges and technical schools. They did not get the attention that they deserved until the last five years. They're, they can be very adaptive and very flexible in creating the curriculum for your um, local community based on what the occupations are. Whereas a four-year research institution is not as adaptive and is not as flexible. So that's number one mm -hmm. from within. <laughs> number two, um, we've got to look at this immigration issue and you know, no one really wants, well, I shouldn't say no one, most reasonable people aren't real hip on having, uh, illegal aliens enter into a country. You can't do that in, in many other countries. Try doing that in Europe and in Asia and, right. you know, have that here. Okay. But we got to find a way to allow for uh, a more robust and effective legal immigration policy uh, for all sectors. I mean, whether it's, you know, it, more the highly skilled educator to maybe more of that uh, traditional blue collar production worker laborer that's needed. Those are the ways that I think um, we're going to be able to address the talent pipeline. And I, frankly, as it relates to the first set of suggestions I gave on building from within, I've seen companies, I'm sorry, communities and states do that very effectively and maybe others not so proactive. Sure. Do, do you have an example of a state that maybe is doing uh, community college correctly? Yeah, I think there are several, um, frankly, and they all happen to be south of the Mason-Dixon line. You know, um, states like Alabama, Georgia, mm -hmm. uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Mississippi is um, uh, getting more proactive. Tennessee has done a magnificent job. Their Tennessee Promise and Tennessee Reconnect programs to re-engage people who were out of the workforce, like let's say women who uh, stayed at home to raise their children and now they're empty nesters and they want to re-enter the workforce, you know? So those kinds of states have done an effective job in working to create a customized workforce effort for uh, uh, their states and their communities. So I guess that brings up a question. Why is the Southeast such a um, powerhouse in economic development? Why in, in economic development, in sites, the number of site selectors that are in the Southeast, the number of excellent educational programs and workforce training programs in the Southeast are great. Why, 
why is the Southeast do so well? What is it that they have there's or don't a, have? Yeah, there's an old historical perspective of that. I don't want to bore the audience, but it really started in the 40s after World War II um, with the state of Mississippi creating industrial revenue bonds, which you know are a, a tax exempt conduit. Right. So it it's it's served as a a, a tool to attract and retain businesses in the South that were moving to the North, like Michigan and New York, New Jersey, because they were looking for a skilled workforce. Okay. Because remember okay. the South, um, very agrarian, mm -hmm. right? Right. So what happened was, um, as that developed, then a lot of elected officials just gravitated to the whole concept of we've got to be able to help create jobs for our citizens. Otherwise we're going to die on the vine. And so you just started to see that in places like Atlanta and then the state of Georgia and then in North Carolina with the research triangle park. And it just kind of all developed. I use Texas where you are. As a best practice example of controlling your own destiny, when in 1979, the Texas legislature created the, the sales tax, the half-cent sales tax or economic development that right. allows local communities to, to do just that. And, you know, it, um, it's just been a godsend to a state like yours. And I think that's what's interesting about Texas is that all economic development is at the city level. I mean, the, the state sends you leads and works leads and goes on big, takes the governor on big trips. But in Texas, it's all at the city level. Everything happens there. And it, it sometimes makes it difficult, feels like it's difficult to compete with other states that have more developed state programs. Is that, do you, do you, from your perspective, do you see that? I do in some areas and not in others. I, I like the Texas model because it's decentralized and, and it has allowed the states, I'm sorry, the cities to control their own destiny, you know? So you see a little community of 18,000 people that have a Walmart or a target and they're resource rich because they have the sales tax from that store. You know, there's like a Walmart I know in, um, uh, West Florida that has uh, sales of about 175 million a year. Mm -hmm. So think about the half sales tax for that right. if they were getting right. Right. So where a place like Texas gets hurt, um, is when it's not centralized, where you have a more, uh, uniform worker training initiative, like from those states I mentioned previously. Sure. You know, right. Where you get hurt. That makes it sense. It didn't hurt people in some of the large marquee projects, like obviously Tesla mm -hmm. and, you know, for the big ones that have come, but a lot of that you, know, you were able to get to because of the Texas, um, business climate and a pro business ideology, you know, right. um, you are very well regarded and well known in the industry in both economic development and site selection. You were the 
past chair of the Site Selectors Guild, and you were also one of the founders of the Site Selectors Guild. But I don't imagine that you were always, you know, Jay Garner, the expert in economic development and site selection. How did you get to this point? What's your backstory? So um, I'm in my 41st year of economic development. No, I take that back. I'm sorry. I'm in my 42nd year now. So for 22 out of those 42, um, I read local or regional economic development efforts because I am the, I am a past chair also of IEDC. Oh, okay. And I was a past chair of IEDC in, in, uh, 2001, uh, which meant I was also a past chair of AEDC in 2000. Cause you remember AEDC right. and QA merged to form. I, so how did I get into this? I went to grad school right out of undergrad school. Uh, thinking I want to be a city manager. So I was, uh, working to get my, uh, master of public administration degree, MPA, uh, at West Virginia university to graduate. You have to do an internship. I got real lucky and I was able to do an internship for, uh, the American, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the international city managers association, ICMA. So I went EC to do that. And after about a month, I realized I didn't want to be a city manager. So I, I was able to come back, modify my curriculum a little bit, still graduate on time and, uh, had more of a slant towards economic development. I got hired immediately out of grad school to run a startup program in a little County near Washington, DC, it's still in West Virginia called Jefferson County, West Virginia, which is where Harper's Ferry is. That's where, oh, you mm -hmm. know, job insurrection was. I got hired because the salary was so low, no one else would take the job. <laughs> and my mom and dad lived near there. So I got to live with them <laughs> and, uh, and then drive to, uh, work because I couldn't afford an apartment. Uh, but it, it, it allowed me to, um, drink from a fire hose and learn from trial and error. There was no internet. Obviously there was one book on economic development, one book called the handbook of the eighties. I checked it out of the library and read it from page to page. I think it was like 350 pages. And then I joined, um, what was called the Southern industrial development council, which is now SCDC, right? Uh -huh. And I, uh, befriended the executive director. His name was Dr. Bob Castle, who also was a professor at Georgia tech. And he took me under his wing and helped me learn the nuances. I got real lucky Dane because, uh, where I was working in West Virginia, it was only 60 miles from Washington, DC. Sure. There was a train service from where I lived to DC. And so I became an order taker from those that wanted to get out of that DC environment. All right. Mm -hmm. And that got me notice and I got recruited then to go to Dalton, Georgia. Uh, and that's where I look, really learn the economic development craft. That's the partner capital of the world, Dalton, Georgia. So 
Uh, and from there, you know, I just got recruited to different places, basically for more money. Somebody said when I first got into this business that we are high paid migrant workers. Well, I don't think I was all that highly paid, but I was a migrant worker. And that's the only way that you really grew financially is that you've moved on to the next community with more responsibility. So is that something that you would still encourage people to do today, economic developers? That is that how they get ahead? They move around? No, I don't think you too, you need to do that anymore. I think that's old school. Um, uh, and and in fact, you don't see as many people who are moving uh, as much. I think that communities recognize the value of their leaders in that community, and unless they're short-sighted, they work diligently to find a way to compensate and to keep those people within those communities. And I'd imagine that your book probably helps to develop that image for the economic developer because it is kind of the anti-economic development for dummies book, right? In its title, it says that economic development is a serious skill set. It's a serious industry that you need to take seriously. Uh, who else needs to read the economic, the economic development is not for am still not for amateurs. Who needs to read that book? So I'll tell you, that's a great question. Let me tell you what the people have said. We, we have, um, 98 reviews on Amazon of which 82 or five star. And so a number of people have written reviews on Amazon about it. So here's what, here's what basically they're saying. Um, that it, and these are mostly people like you who are professional economic developers, right? They yes. said it's a great uh, refresher for me, the professional, but it's really meant for my leadership. So they are giving it out in bulk to all of their board members, their policy makers. Um, I'm also doing virtual book presentations, uh, because even though it's a short read, Amazon calls it a short read. It's less than a hundred pages. Um, I have a city council friend who's a veterinarian in a community and he said he read it in 90 minutes, you know, that's, about that's, what, yeah. it's, mm -hmm. that's what it's meant to be. Right. Otherwise we would lose people. Um, those are the people that need to read it. And if they read it, it's going to help you because here's one of the things I say in the book, the quality of your public and private leadership affects economic development. It drives economic development. Quality leadership is going to drive, uh, investment to your community. Poor leadership is going to drive investment out of your community. So much in your book. And yes, it's an absolutely quick read. You can make it through it in a, you know, in a flight or just a short afternoon, but so much of it is, should be obvious to the economic developer, to the professional economic developer on the ground. It, it's going to be a, a basic review of what they know, but get to a elected official, it, it just can change their mind entirely about what economic development is because they maybe come in with all kinds of different ideas. You know, is it community yeah. development? What, what is it about? But it just really emphasizes that this is a serious skill set, and this is why the municipality is spending money on this. I think it's an, an excellent resource. And truthfully, you came up with a great, you, you said you sold 5,000 copies of the book. And I 
I can tell why, because it's, you buy it for your board members, you buy it for your elected officials. It's phenomenal. So was that the plan going in when you and Jay sat down? That, that's what yeah, it was. Well, they, thank you. Yeah. I mean, when we came up with the title, I wanted something audacious. It, it was from the plan. I mean, um, uh, you've been around economic development. You and I had the, the, uh, opportunity to learn from each other at the economic development Institute several years right. ago, if you remember mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. you know, yes. Um, you have seen policymakers, I bet who are amateurs, right? I have, you know, and so, but honestly, Dane, it's mostly not their fault. And here's a, here's a story I'll tell you years ago, I was invited to speak at a, uh, luncheon for an economic development group in a state in the Southeast. And it, and it had a, you know, a hundred people there. Um, and it was, it was an investor's luncheon when I was done, the chairman of the county commission came up to me. And he had gotten elected two years prior. Okay. So he came up to me and he said, I've learned more about economic development in the last 45 minutes than I have in the last two years. And I thanked him for his kindness and for his compliments. And I leave and I get in the car with the ED people who invited me. And I said to them, you know, that's an indictment on you all. You didn't do an effective enough job educating your leadership on the ABCs of economic development. So if you want to complain about that guy, then, uh, it's entirely on you. And they said, you're right. We didn't spend as much time on it, on training our leaders as we should have. And that was one of the uh, reasons why we wanted to do the book. Right. And on the flip side, sometimes but you need an outside expert to come in and just repeat what you've been saying because it's an outside expert, yeah. right? No one is a, a prophet in their own hometown. Well, you know, I tell people, look, I get to say what I get to say uh, because I get to go home to another community at night. You guys right. don't, you know? Right, exactly. Well, Jake, this has been an excellent conversation and I absolutely encourage all of our listeners to read your book, pick up a copy. Is there anything else you want to add before we sign off today? Dane, I thank you again for the opportunity. And I just want to tell folks who are listening that are either new to economic development or are seasoned veterans. Uh, I love this profession. It's all I've ever done. Um, I could have gone and done other things. And if you stay with it, there's going to be, you know, not so great days, but more days are better than not. Um, I just thank the Lord every day that I've been able to participate in a profession that makes a difference. It's, it's a calling. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com.